good morning. Welcome back to uh, Driving Theology, a podcast where I share all of the weird and strange things that are going on in my mind uh, in regards to uh, Christology, theology, ecclesiology, soteriology, and uh, some other ologies. Uh, so yesterday, got to read a book by my good friend, uh, well, for, formerly good friend, I guess we're still friendly, but we're not uh, part of each other's lives as, as much as I would like. Um, he lives on the East Coast in America, and of course I'm in the East Coast of Japan, <laughs> uh, worlds apart really, but we uh, went to college together and Scott has, uh, has had a rough time of it uh, in a lot of ways, I, I suppose. I suppose everybody sees their story that way, though. We, we know the rough spots that we've had. But anyway, Scott, I think, has had a particularly rough uh, uh, rough time with his life and gone down roads that uh, maybe some of us haven't gone down, uh, but has remained uh, astutely aware of what what his plight has been and, and, and is and what's going on with him. And he is a talented writer and is able to articulate uh, very well in ways that I think will be, will, will help other people um, after they've read his story. And it's a memoir and this is his first work that he's published. He's done some writing for uh, websites and things like this, uh, I guess what you might call op-ed pieces, um, and Scott is an actor and a musician by trade, uh, in fact that's where we met, we went to music school together and grad school as well for a time, and uh, yeah, so he's written a book called Happiness is nowhere. Happiness is nowhere. Uh, and let me see if I can get the the, the the subtitle. Happiness is nowhere is the title. The subtitle is Losing My Luggage and Finding Hope. I think is is the subtitle. Anyway, he has uh, published this and you can get it on Kindle. Happiness is nowhere. I think if you search that, you'll get it. You'll get the, the first book that comes out. It will be Scott Langdon's book. Uh, and in it, he he talks about. Uh, you know, I don't want to give really really the book's benefit. I think are the the anecdotes and the 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 scenes from his life that that uh, he talks about. Um, I don't I don't think the. Uh, point of the book will really give away anything too much, I hope. Uh, but I think that the point of his book is that happiness is the journey and not the destination. Is that, uh, And that many of us uh, put happiness somewhere to be fulfilled in the future when I get this, or if I become this, or if so-and-so marries me, then I will be happy. And of course, this is a 
is a very common common thing in the in the human experience I think for us to to put happiness on hold and I think we all have experienced uh, that and, and, and similar similar things where uh, we had the one one thing that we desired and once we, we received it there was no fulfillment there I, I think I <laughs> I think I go through that every time I open a, a box from Amazon I'm I'm probably just a bit of a an Amazon addict um, the, the entire process of of finding something on Amazon's site that you want uh, and you know doing your proper research getting the best price and getting it here uh, lickety split time and and uh, opening the box and getting for the first time to put your hands around the thing that you only saw that that whole process uh, appeals to me and I don't you know I have to be careful my wife doesn't like the way I spend on Amazon obviously I'm sure there's nobody like that nobody else like that out in the world that, that is like that except me but the newest thing I got on Amazon was my water shoes. In fact, I'm on my way to the river right now to do some more uh, river guide training, which just happens to be out at the same place where I work on Wednesday. So this is actually a Friday edition of the podcast. In fact, I think I'm not going to publish my Wednesday uh, offering because it was just it was just subpar, and 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 I was really. Uh, uh, not tuned in or zoned in and, and didn't I don't think there was much of worth there but you know I'll, I'll review it later and maybe we'll see who knows um, but yeah today the idea of happiness and, and Scott's book is, is very short and it's I think it cost me three dollars and fifty cents or something like that on Kindle it's a very good price uh, for a book that that really Scott bears his soul in, uh, and and it is a both a tale of hope and a tale of caution. Uh, I think for all of us, uh, as all of our lives would be, were they truly open, bare to the public, as Scott has done. Um, of course, uh, Scott's uh, skill as a writer may. Uh, make his offering just a bit more uh, appealing. <laughs> um, so, happiness. You know, this is something that's out there right now. This, you know, as it's an election year, more people are thinking about the Constitution and, and what it says and, and uh, you know, the... Uh, Declaration of Independence in America and all of the the wording and the rights and the you know this is what the current regime is doing wrong and if we just had a better leader we could get back to the Constitution and blah blah blah. But one of the one of the things that we all remember in the Constitution is that we have the right to pursue life liberty and happiness, the pursuit of happiness, right, is a, is a constitutionally uh, 
given right to all American citizens. Um, and so, like it or not, ingrained in most Americans is this idea that my life is supposed to be a pursuit of happiness. Uh, and so we, we feel like we can do whatever we want uh, to satisfy our own needs. Uh, and I think that's what gets us a lot in a lot of trouble. I, I think, you know, there is something to be said to respect another's rights. But when you start to demand your own rights, I think is where you get in trouble. I think that's where... Uh, potentially a loving situation becomes a very selfish and self-serving situation. Yeah, you know, as an American, I would like to protect your right uh, for free speech and freedom of the press and and your right for freedom of information and, and uh, your right to bear arms. And I would like to, I would like to protect that for you uh, but when I start protecting that for myself, it just looks childish and self-serving. Um, now, of course, in some measure, protecting it for you is protecting it for me. You see, the, the nature of love is that love is concerned for another above and beyond yourself. I think modern, I think modern society has gotten this wrong. Uh, you can't love others until you learn to love yourself is what people say and I think it's ridiculous and I think it has no merit uh, in the Bible or anywhere else I don't think you uh, I don't think science can tell us that that is the case I think it's, it's just a silly uh, silly something that somebody came up to to justify to justify uh, selfishness uh, maybe one of the worst things that's that's ever um, come into uh, you know modern modern uh, philosophy. Uh, Self love is uh, yeah um, because I think on some level, not that self loathing doesn't exist, but self love is a given. It's, you know, nature is taking care of that part. By nature, we love ourselves. We preserve ourselves. We, we, we have uh, reflexes that work because uh, down deep we want to and know how to preserve our own life. That's something we do naturally. Uh, but when when something's wrong, I suppose, uh, and wrong bad enough in a way that uh, somebody has a mental illness uh, or a mental breakdown of some kind, yeah, nature could be superseded by the um, uh, the uh, possibility of hurting yourself, of self self harm. Uh, you know, but even there. A lot of times, uh, I think pride uh, and stubbornness can cause suicide or or self-harming. Um, that 
you love yourself so much that you are willing to sacrifice your body to get someone else to, to notice you or love you. Um, I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist, so I can't go down that road very far. Um, that's just that's just my human mind thinking. So, Americans, we have ingrained in us that we are supposed to be pursuing happiness. That's part of the, what Americans do. But rarely do we get a good definition of happiness. Uh, or rarely are we asked, what then? You know, what do you do once you achieve that thing that you, you know, so uh, energetically sought after? Uh, and believe it or not, we do sometimes receive the thing that we wanted. You know, we have dreams and we achieve them and, and, uh, that does happen in some measure. I'll give you a, a, uh, a, a for instance, um, I always wanted to sing in New York always wanted to sing in New York and uh, back in 1994 I went for an audition hoping that you know maybe that would start something to where I would be able to perform in in New York City that's kind of the place and in New York there's one place to perform and that's uh, Carnegie Hall well there's several places that would be considered uh, successful places to perform Carnegie Hall the Metropolitan Opera I suppose would be another one for me um, and I guess you could probably also say uh, Radio City Music Hall for other people. Um, there are so many halls and it would be crazy to name them all. Anyway, and anyway, that didn't happen. And, and that was back in 1994 and, you know, 10 years roll around 2004. And I'm doing some singing in, in Tokyo, but really my my professional career has been on hold since about 2004 and it never really was much to begin with you know it was mostly professional training and the occasional professional uh, job here and there but it wasn't a a living <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination not even close um, but in 2013 uh, I had the chance to sing in a benefit concert um, and that concert was going to be going on in Carnegie Hall. Now, I live in Japan, uh, but Japan had just been through the, the great Eastern Japan earthquake and tsunami uh, tragedy. And in 2013, there was a benefit concert being held uh, in the guise of a chorus, uh, chorus competition or chorus festival, I guess I'd say. A chorus festival in uh, New York City and the place was Carnegie Hall the the Perlman stage at Carnegie Hall so <clears throat> I had the opportunity to sing in Carnegie Hall now as a professional singer you know what what you always think is gonna happen is that you will be invited you will be invited to come that somebody will say hey you're so awesome we think you should come and sing in Carnegie Hall <laughs> uh, but that, that may happen sometimes, but what happened in this case was uh, the choir director that I knew was getting a chorus together, and I hadn't sung in a chorus since college. Uh, but I, uh, 
you know, for the opportunity to sing at Carnegie Hall for a good cause. And yeah, I took the I took the chance to go sing at Carnegie Hall. Now, is that the way I, I imagined I would sing at Carnegie Hall? Of course not. <clears throat> of course not. Uh, and in fact, I wasn't paid to sing at Carnegie Hall. I had to pay to sing at Carnegie Hall. Everybody in the chorus had to had to pay. It was a benefit concert, so part of the you know the, the way we raise money is to put money in, and then we get to go sing at Carnegie Hall. Um, it was an awesome experience, and one that I will never forget. And I don't think I'll ever be back there to sing at Carnegie Hall in the capacity that I had always wished for as an aspiring musician, as, as, as an aspiring singer. <clears throat> but that dream was fulfilled in one way or another but it wasn't very fulfilling because the expectations I had uh, were different I had to swallow my pride to go singing Carnegie Hall that way you know that that, that was something that, that I had to do but to, to have that ticked off my list if you will to have that checked off my list, it was it was worth it, and you know, my wife was all for it. In fact, she suggested suggested it, and it was a really cool experience. So yes, I've sung at Carnegie Hall, but as a one of many chorus members, I did not utter any solos, at least not on purpose. Uh, and yeah, it was kind of cool, but it wasn't something that brought me long-term happiness. I thought it would once, you know, when you're in the middle of it, you're like, wow, what's this going to do to me? This is going to change my life, and, you know, this and that, but I don't know, maybe it has in some small measure taken pressure off of me, uh, but uh, yeah, that wasn't the incredibly fulfilling experience that I had imagined it was going to be as a, uh, you know, 20 year old college student uh, looking, you know, looking into a, a, a wishful future. Uh, so the problem is by putting your happiness in the future and making it Objective to ifs and whens and whethers, whether nots, whether or not, uh, you what you set yourself up for is disappointment because happiness is not something that comes uh, from getting something you want in the future. Happiness is a is a state of mind. It's a state of being. It's it's something that you decide to be, and something that happens on a daily basis. Now, I was happy the day we were performing in Carnegie Hall. That was that was pretty happy. You know, I was taking it in. I was I was looking at the ceilings and the the architecture and listening to the acoustics, and, and my senses were on high alert. I was able to take in that moment pretty well um, because of the excitement of the moment and I was happy in that moment to be sure 
we don't want to do is is say that I, I'm okay not to be happy today so that I can be happy someday in the future. It just doesn't work out. You know, we know that it doesn't work out that way. Um, my wife's mother passed away of cancer uh, some, I guess it's close to 16 years ago now, something like that. And she was a, she was young. She was, uh, I think, 61 years old. father-in-law has just retired. They were looking forward to uh, a, a retirement of traveling and, and, and spending fun time with friends and family and, and raising their grandkids together. And, and my mother-in-law was not a very happy person, as I could tell. She, she pushed herself pretty hard to make money, and part of the reason was to support uh, our young family. Um, I was in college at much of the time that she was doing this and she was helping support our family in the States um, because of her grandchild obviously um, and uh, she just wasn't a very happy person and especially with me I think she she resented me quite a bit for having kept her her daughter uh, and grandchild in the States. I mean, I didn't do it on purpose. She found me there, but uh, at any rate, um, she wasn't wasn't really excited about the whole arrangement of her daughter marrying uh, a foreigner and, and all of the, you know, all of the, all of the stuff that goes with that. But on her deathbed, she was passing away from cancer she told my wife you know she said I, I, I had you know I had put off happiness for, for this time I, I thought that this time was going to be so much different I you know I worked so hard and, 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 and saved money and she did she saved quite a bit of money she saved a lot of money she all putting up putting uh aside her need for happiness in the present, all for happiness in the future, sacrificing the present for the future. And then she was dying, and she knew she was dying, and she knew she had no time left. And she told my wife it was all for nothing. It was all for nothing. You know, I worked for nothing. I, everything I worked for, I'm, I'm not going to get to see the fruits of. Which is a very biblical statement, right? says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, and everything you work for will go to another. Uh, remember exactly where that's found, it's in the Gospels, talking about somebody who, who spends their whole life storing up treasure. Um, now that's another form, of course. That's a more deliberate, intentional form of, of uh, putting your happiness in the future. Um, but Scott's point is, you don't have any, you don't have any time, but the present. You don't. You only have today. 
You only have today. You're only guaranteed today. There's no guarantee you'll have tomorrow. You can't change the past. You can't go back in time and change the past. But you have today. So spend your time in the present. Uh, spend your time in the here and the now. Be present today. Uh, don't be thinking so much in the future. Uh, enjoy everything you do. Uh, all the all the senses uh, can be engaged all the time, and you can really find joy in each day. It doesn't mean that we should be pursuing happiness. I think that I think that's kind of a I think that sets you up for for the disappointment as well because happiness is here happiness uh, is is in every day if you will just be open to it uh, and be present you know as I'm as I'm driving here I'm on a road and roads are mundane places especially in the morning traffic and you know if you look around you'll see you'll see lots lots of green stuff you'll see people working in the field and and uh, you'll see uh, birds uh, fluttering by and distant mountains and uh, distant mountains in the mist see lots of kids on their way to school riding bicycles or walking along the road the rice in the fields uh, are you know just at that wonderful stage where when the wind comes through you can see the path of the wind and the green is so vivid uh, it's, it's just the best kind of green I don't know if you've ever seen rice fields uh, when they are about knee-high a little less than knee-high maybe uh, maybe at the bottom of the knee-high but anyway they before the uh, before the head of the, the rice comes before the seeds are on the top before there's flowers or, or anything like that it just looks like really tall, beautiful uh, grass. And it's gorgeous and lush. And the texture is, is just something to behold. Uh, and those simple joys are available to us every day. Even if you're in a concrete jungle, you know, find, find, find the good in humanity. Find the, find the, you know, the, 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 on the face of people, find your joy. On the faces of, of people. Find your joy in service. Uh, another point that Scott makes is that you know joy is to be found in, in helping others, and sharing love. And Alcoholics Anonymous—that's uh, one of the one of the reasons it was founded. Apparently, this is I'm getting this from Scott's book, but that the joy of helping other people overcome alcoholism can help you overcome alcoholism. Okay, the the satisfaction, if you will, of helping others will will serve you. And that's not a, an ulterior motive to start helping other people. Let's, let's be clear about that. Um, let's just call it a, a fact. You know, it is what it is. Uh, alcoholism is, is an incredibly difficult thing to get under control and we need we need help <coughs> excuse me is that the first sneeze on driving theology okay, call it driving sneezeology ex, ex 
sneeziology. How's that? <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. What, is the, uh, what does Jesus have to say about happiness? Uh, was Jesus a happy person? That's a good question. It's a very good question. Was Jesus happy? Um, you know, we see we see only glimpses into Jesus' life, and none of them from his own from his own hand. He, he didn't write anything, as far as we know about himself. Everything was that was written is by people that that are observing him, uh, many of them very closely, but who have observed him and followed him and lived with him. Uh, people who were like brothers, who were, who were family to him, uh, have written about him. So yeah, was Jesus happy? Wow, that's really difficult. Because we know that there were times of profound sadness. We know that Jesus was serious. Um, you know, my image of Jesus is of a man who is content. A contentness. Was he, was he bubbly? Was he jovial? Was he a person who joked around a lot? I like to think so. You know, I like to think so. But we know that Isaiah called him a man of sorrows. A man of sorrows. Um, and it could be that the weight of, of what he had to do was something that constantly plagued him, knowing that knowing the plight that he was on, knowing the path that he had to walk down or the cup that he had to drink. I know that it weighed on him at times. I, I know because I, uh, yeah, memorized a, a part of uh, Luke, the part where he's in the, uh, on the Mount of Olives and he's, he's praying, let this cup pass for me. Uh, if you if you memorize that and then try to dramatically interpret it, knowing what he was probably going through, it, it, I think it will really give you insight into Jesus, into the person, and, and into the the enormity of the task uh, that he had at hand um, the night before the night that what he was arrested just moments presumably before he was arrested in less than 24 hours before he was uh, crucified was Jesus happy uh, I have to say of course he was happy he was he was happy in, in the sense that he was content that his life uh, had meaning and purpose and and he did seem to live in the now he he didn't uh, put off healing people uh, when their needs were there in front of them he healed them uh, when situations came up where people were hungry, he fed them. Uh, he, he was the, the ultimate uh, servant. Um, so, 
own a definition of a life with purpose, a life with purpose, I think you would have to look no farther than Jesus. Uh, he knew what the purpose of his life was. He knew why he was on earth. And the great thing is, because he discovered that for himself, he has discovered that for all of us. We know what our purpose is, and we know ultimately uh, where our joy and our our truth and our happiness is to be found, and that is in him, and that is in following him, and sharing in his purpose, uh, communing with him uh, through through walking the path that he walked. Now, I'll, I'll admit, I failed at that. I would like to do better at that. Um, but that's where... That's where we will find happiness. And happiness is such an odd word. I don't, I don't, sometimes it's hard to figure out exactly what it means. <clears throat> What is happiness, really, you know? Um, uh, but yeah, certainly, um, happiness is to be found in Jesus. I think that's, uh, yeah, I think that's as, as much as we need to say about that. The great thing is Jesus being in us in the form of the Holy Spirit and alongside of us in the form of Emmanuel and before us as the Omega and behind us as the Alpha. <clears throat> you know, happiness and joy is found in every aspect of every day. Because when we belong to Jesus, we have nothing to fear. Uh, we have nothing to fear and so we can be free to enjoy each day because we live in the grace uh, of Jesus and in the, uh, in the pleasure of, of his presence what else could we want my goodness so, uh, yeah, I know I, I probably don't sound too happy. I'm a little bit low-key. That's what happens when you talk to yourself a lot. Um, <laughs> you realize that, hey, what's going on in my head? I can hear that fine, and my voice doesn't have to be that loud. So maybe I should put up a sign on my dashboard to remember to uh, you know, keep, keep the voice up and be active and uh, perhaps be more entertaining. Who knows? Um, but... Yeah, at any rate, there it is. Uh, I recommend my friend uh, Scott's book to you. Happiness is Nowhere. Um, pay attention to that title because the title may change a little bit uh, as you read the book. It's a weird thing. But I'll just uh, say that and let you discover that for yourself. Um, God bless you guys today. And uh, may you... May you uh, seek out happiness in every moment of today, and may you uh, make the service of others uh, top priority. Thanks.